0: On December 18th, 2019, the House of Representatives impeached only the third president in U.S. history. In the parlance of this show, Democrats have crossed the Rubicon, which means that for all the dramatic and infuriating moments we've witnessed these past two months, the fight has only just begun. The trial of President Trump won't begin until 2020. But between now and then, that fight won't stop. In fact, this may be the most important phase of it, because the nature of the trial the Senate actually conducts will be determined in large part by what we, all of us, do now that the articles of impeachment have passed. The rules of the Senate require all members serving as jurors in an impeachment trial to take an oath of affirmation to do, quote, impartial justice according to the Constitution and laws, so help me God. Trump's loyalists have made no secret of the fact that they will ignore their oaths. What's best for the country is to get get this thing over with. I am clearly made up my mind.
1: I'm not an impartial juror. This is a political process. I would anticipate we will have a largely
0: partisan outcome. What did Lindsey Graham and Mitch McConnell mean when they admitted they have no intention of being impartial? At bottom, they mean they intend to acquit Trump no matter how strong the evidence of his high crimes and misdemeanors is. But tactically, what they meant is they want to rig the trial. Claim the evidence the House compiled isn't strong enough ignore that Trump summarily obstructed the inquiry, refused to subpoena the testimony and documents that Trump withheld from the House, and then acquit Trump without hearing from a single witness.
1: This thing will come to the Senate, and it will die quickly, and I will do everything I can to make it die quickly. They got a motion to dismiss before the Senate had even decided whether to depose a single witness.
0: That was Mitch McConnell again. And what he was hinting at in the intentionally cryptic language of parliamentary procedure, was that he wants to round up 51 votes to dismiss the charges against Trump before the House's impeachment managers, that is, the prosecutors, have a chance to call witnesses at all. Otherwise, his members will have to explain why they voted affirmatively against calling witnesses like former National Security Advisor John Bolton and White House Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney, who refused to testify in the House. Or alternatively, those witnesses will have to testify under oath. And as Republicans know better than anyone, their testimony would be very damning. Otherwise, Republicans would be desperate to hear from them. So it's easy to see why Trump's accomplices would want to shield him from a serious trial. There's just one problem. To engage a trial without the facts coming out is to engage in a cover-up. The problem for Republicans is that the overwhelming majority of Americans, including the majority of Republicans, want a fair trial. They want to hear from these witnesses. They definitely don't want their elected leaders engaged in a cover-up. And it only takes four Republican senators to guarantee that the cover-up fails. And that's where the rest of us come in. Whether you're a Democratic member of Congress, a presidential candidate, an impartial journalist, or a regular voter, there is no other credible way to interpret or describe what Senate Republicans hope to do next month. Making their intentions clear is the responsibility of everyone who cares about truth. Making a cover-up difficult or impossible to complete is what this phase of the impeachment fight is all about. With that in mind, The Washington Post, Greg Sargent and I will look ahead to the trial and discuss what each of us can do to make sure that both Trump and those to seek to help him cover up his crimes are held accountable. I'm Brian Boitler, and this is Rubicon. Rubicon is brought to you by Karayuma. Sustainable sneakers are the footwear of the future. There's a big waiting list for these low impact kicks, about 5,000 people. If they're good enough for John Hamm, they're good enough for me. Karyuma is a direct to consumer sustainable sneaker brand. Their high and low top styles are good looking, crazy comfy and conscientiously made. Karyuma shoes are brand new, but come with that perfect broken in fit. And they do it all with old school design and new school ethics. They just launched a 100% vegan and carbon neutral sneaker. E B, which means earth. It's made with perfect fit 3D bamboo knit and recycled PET, green EVA outsoles made from sugarcane, a cork and organic mamona oil insole, plus recycled and recyclable laces, threads, and labels. Karayuma's packaging is made from recycled and 100% recyclable materials. They make up for carbon emissions released during transportation by purchasing carbon offsets, creating a shipping footprint balance of zero. All of Kariuma styles come with their signature crazy comfy green insoles, making them easy to wear from your 8 a.m. all-hands meeting to cocktail hour and beyond. If your pair doesn't fit perfectly, you can return them free of charge. For a limited time, Rubicon listeners can get an exclusive 15% off your first pair of Kariuma sneakers. Go to cariuma.com slash Rubicon to get 15% off. That's cariuma.com slash Rubicon. Rubicon for a limited time, 15% off today. Greg Sargent, thanks for coming back on the show. Thanks for having me on, Brian. So um, by the time people listen to this episode, Donald Trump will be impeached. Um, He will probably be very upset about it. Uh, But because of the holidays, we'll be in this kind of liminal phase where the process is still underway, but nothing's happening. Um, If you're a vulnerable Senate Republican, are you happy about the pause or would you rather get it over with sooner rather than later?
1: Well, I think a lot depends on how the break goes, right? I mean, if they start catching hell in their in their states about from constituents who are um, who are angry about the potential for a sham process, um, sham trial, then I think they'd, they'd hate to have to wait. I mean, it's going to really be on Democratic groups and and pro rule of law groups to
0: kick up a lot of fuss during that period and get some pressure on them. Along those lines, those of us who supported impeachment. From the outset, have made the argument that there's value in doing it, even if Republicans are going to make sure that Trump stays in office, um, because the process, the the forcing Republicans in the House and Senate to take votes, uh, it also that those votes essentially uh, constitute them making his corruption their own. How do you think that proposition looks today?
1: Well, I think it looks really good, and you can see that very clearly and precisely in what Mitch McConnell is doing to try and turn this trial into a very quick acquittal. Donald Trump was out there, and I don't really think we should place much stock in this, but he was out there saying, oh, I want to turn this into a a, a, a festival of, of baying for Hunter Biden's head on a platter. <laughs> and uh, Mitch McConnell essentially shut that down pretty quick and said no, and I think as you wrote somewhere – Uh, Mitch McConnell was saving Trump from himself in doing this, Mm -hmm. as well as saving his own marginal members from a long drawn-out trial. Point being, though, that Mitch McConnell understands as well as anyone else does that the more facts that are brought into evidence, the worse it is for the marginal Republican senators in tough places like Susan Collins in Maine, uh, Martha McSally in in Arizona, and so forth. I had direct experience of that earlier this week. I was able to get Um, video of Susan Collins in 1999 during the Bill Clinton impeachment trial calling for more witnesses and evidence.
0: I am willing to travel the road wherever it leads, whether it's to the conviction or the acquittal of the president. But in order to do that, I need more evidence. I need witnesses and further evidence to guide me to the right destination, to get to the truth.
1: And uh, I was surprised that they got back to me pretty quick with a quote from the senator herself saying, I haven't made the decision on the witness issue in this particular case. Now, this is only a process question, you'd think, right? But it's a tough process question. Do you want to vote for the cover-up or do you want to vote for transparency and truth? And uh, the fact that Susan Collins is is struggling with this, I think, shows that even just going through the motions
0: is tough for them. Yeah, I mean, it's there's, you know, multiple steps here, right? There's uh, probably going to be some sort of resolution to establish the ground rules of the trial. And then at some point votes on witnesses and then the vote on whether to acquit or convict. And it's obviously Mitch McConnell's uh, goal to make sure that zero Republicans vote to convict. And ideally that zero Republicans ever have to vote for any witnesses at all. So that just, that means he's going to try to round up 51 votes to basically dismiss the charges um, before you even get to a place where House impeachment managers can request or demand uh, Mick Mulvaney or John Bolton testify before the Senate. Every phase of that process, the, the cost to Republicans I think becomes higher but that just means that at the at the early phase you know are we gonna are we gonna have a, a fair trial at all mitch mcconnell can lose two or three senators give them a free free pass to say i want to hear from witnesses but if he gets 51 votes to dismiss they can say look i tried i tried to vote for a, a process where uh where we heard from witnesses my colleagues disagreed so now i have to vote uh, with what we have before us from from the articles of impeachment and the presentation of them by by the managers, and I don't think there's enough there to convict, so I acquit, and thus every Republican senator votes uh, votes to acquit. And I, I don't think that that's like a highly unlikely outcome. Um, and I guess it just it gets to it gets to my thinking about like what more Democrats could do. Like obviously votes to cover up, uh, Trump's crimes, you know, say no to any witness testimony are going to be bad for whichever vulnerable Republicans have to take those votes. But, you know, should Democrats have been beating this drum starting in September that, that Republicans need to be committing to a fair trial now? Should Democrats be withholding unrelated legislation like the Defense Authorization Act or the, um, the new NAFTA update, uh, and just saying, like, we're not going to play ball with you on other things if what you're going to do is complete the cover-up Trump is asking of you.
1: Well, I just want to return to something you said earlier about the scenario uh, the scenario in which uh, Mitch McConnell lets two two or so of the marginal senators uh, make fake noises about wanting a, a real trial and then still passing uh, a quick... Um, acquittal with 51 or passing the initial step to the acquittal by essentially getting past the process stuff with 51 votes. I think the calculation there becomes complicated for them, right? Because even if they do that, even if Susan Collins and uh, Cory Gardner and Martha McSally or whichever three you pick are allowed to, to sort of make their fake noises, if the whole thing is a sham, it's still bad for Senate Republicans. That's true. Right? Now, the the... Because I mean, in this era of nationalized voting, right, everything turns on the national narrative, and one really interesting thing will, to to track will be whether those marginal senators privately go to McConnell and say, "We really need a real, um, we need a real proceeding. At least something more than just a quick 51 vote now." Yeah. Right. And uh, if if that happens, of course, then they run more risks. In addition, right. That's that's really the spot they're in. So, I mean, I guess the in terms of messaging, it seems like the thing that Democrats can do um, uh, that could be most effective is just to continue to spotlight the facts, right? I mean, look how quickly the debate shifted when Schumer just sent that one letter. Now, I think there's an argument that that shows they should have been doing it more uh, aggressively earlier, but it just goes to show you that just one, there's if there's one thing that the press can get right on this stuff, it's
0: cover-up or not cover-up. Right. Right. Do House Democrats have any substantive role to play with their own powers uh, going forward now that they've passed the articles?
1: So I think there's all this talk about them holding on to the impeachment and not sending it over. One thing, one reason I'm a little skeptical of that, and I'm happy to be told I'm wrong about this, (laughs) um, you know there's been a lot of criticism of leadership for doing it too quickly for doing it too narrowly and so forth you know i was for a broader impeachment i would have been happy to have it go a little longer or somewhat longer but i really wonder whether there's a genuine risk of some of these moderates starting to drop off if it if it drags on right now i don't know what happens from the point of view of those moderate members if you pass the articles through the House, the impeachment's done, and then you hold it. I suspect that they'd still not like that, right? Because what they want is for
0: it to get pushed over to the Senate. I mean, they want the hot potato out of their hands. But I'm going to switch metaphors. There's no such thing as half pregnant with impeachment, right? You can't vote for the resolution that sets the rules of impeachment. Uh, and then learn all this horrible stuff, and then vote against impeachment, which is why, you know, you have a basically unanimous Democratic caucus voting for the articles of impeachment. Having voted for them, if more bad news comes to light about Trump, if more uh, evidence that he committed further impeachable offenses comes to light, you don't get to a you you don't save yourself anything by ignoring them. You've already voted for the impeachment, if you're scared that the voters in your district are going to be mad at you for that, it's that that ship has sailed. It's over. Right. So there's an argument that I think leadership should make to them that, like, we should press what we have to our fullest advantage. And if that means uh, holding more hearings that damage Trump, that's good for all Democrats. Um, If that means, um, you know, Holding the articles of impeachment in order to make a stink about um, about the fact that the Senate majority leader has already announced that he wants to rig the trial, that's all to the better. Like the 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 hard part is over. The you know they they are already um, you know going to be uh, identified in ads or whatever in Republican campaigns in the fall as members who voted to impeach Trump. It's already um, happening. So it's it's it, it reminds me, you know, in a weird way of back when um, Congress was debating the Affordable Care Act, and and Democrats were agonizing over whether they should do a public option or not, or a national exchange versus a state based health insurance exchange, and it was just so beside the point. It's like it's Obamacare. Either you are going to vote for Obamacare or against it. So stop agonizing over the little details. Um, if you've decided that you need to vote for this because it's the right thing to do, but you're scared about the political consequences down the line, the, the Picayune details aren't going to be what what causes you problem. It's going to be the vote. Well, the vote's done. So now just, you know, make the most of it. Um, that's sort of how I see it. Um, I, I guess I'm curious for your thoughts on that. Well,
1: I just want to try and step back and and, and, and raise a bigger point about all this. I think we're almost pinning too much on some of this process stuff. We know he's getting acquitted, right? We know that's going to happen, okay? We would like there to be a trial that's real. I think we don't know whether, even if that happened, how much we would get from Bolton and Mulvaney, although I would love to see it tried, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't know that we can actually expect too much of a range of options at the end of this chapter right here, right? To me, what I think really matters more is what happens after the impeachment and the acquittal, right? If the Democrats continue to prosecute this stuff in court, if they try to, you know, get testimony from people. And by the way, to go back to the point you raised before, the possibility of other things breaking, you know, there's this, I think there's this sort of illusion out there that this ends with Trump's acquittal right? It doesn't. I mean, all these Republicans who vote um, uh, no on the articles in the House, and all the Republicans who vote to acquit in the Senate, and I think it's almost certainly going to be near unanimous in both, right? Yeah. What really is going to end up mattering over the long term is what comes out after, and I think there's an extremely good chance we're going to get incredibly big revelations down the line that are at least as bad as the ones we already know.
0: The trial, unless something unexpected happens, and who knows, maybe by the time you listen to this, uh, we'll be in a very different place, but the trial is probably going to start in early January, so we're talking a couple weeks to to communicate to as much of the country as possible that Senate Republicans are going to try to short-circuit witness testimony to complete a cover-up for Donald Trump. How do you get the message out there if you're the Democratic Party um, you know, everyone's gonna scatter to the four uh, to the four winds, and and people are gonna be with their families on Christmas and New Year's. And how do you, how do you before before Mitch McConnell manages to get that vote done? How do you get the word out in this environment on this short of a time frame?
1: Well, I don't really have an answer to that, and I don't think anybody does, right? I mean, the in- information environment is really screwed up right now. Unless you're running official proceedings, you can't really get the sort of punch that you need i mean what sort of uh what sort of technique are you envisioning are you talking about
0: official stuff i was just hoping you had an answer because because for me the the advantage of this idea of holding on to the articles um has nothing to do with holding on to them if you hold on to them long enough mitch mcconnell would be thrilled he doesn't have to right his members don't have to take any tough votes you need to get the articles over eventually i i I worry about the um, the information environment in general, but particularly at a time when people are tuned out because of the holidays. Yeah. and so I could see a real advantage in you know creating this expectation that you're going to have a, a trial in early January, and then you know the House Democratic leaders say Republicans are insisting that they're going to help Trump complete his cover up, and we are not going to send. These articles over until the you know until the whole world watching sees that that's what they're trying to do and probably mitch mcconnell doesn't care and he gets his 51 votes for the cover-up anyway but then at least you've commandeered the um you know the the bully pulpit and you've made clear that that's what's happening so that every republican who votes for the cover-up has to pay the price for it that's the best i can think of but advertising could be a part of the mix um Getting the Democratic presidential candidates involved could be part of a mix. Mass politics could be part of a mix. I mean, there were there were uh, nationwide impeachment rallies on Tuesday night. Um, there should be more and bigger ones, uh, particularly around these key votes where Republicans are going to try to short circuit the trial. I mean, that's where that's where I would try to take things if if I were in charge of of the broad. Yeah, Senator left response uh, to impeachment. And,
1: and and the thing is, that on the advertising front in particular, it's just baffling that there's not a much more concerted and targeted advertising effort on this stuff. They should be hammering the shit out of these four or five senators right now. Yeah. Right. I mean, it should have been going on for, for weeks.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. Um, I mean... Look, this is not an easy situation for Susan Collins and and Cory Gardner and, and, uh, and Tom Tillis and Martha McSally. And then, of course, you've got the ones that are actually sort of trying to adopt a principled independence from Trump, like Romney. And I don't know if you would go at them. I think that backfires, mm-hmm. right? It gives them th- – one of the complications to this that I've, I've heard Democrats talk about is – and this is sort of an interesting thing to try and debate and figure out. I don't, I don't really have a position on it yet. But sometimes if the attacks are too direct, it gives them a way to not – it almost gives like – some of the senators that are kind of on the knife's
0: edge an easier way out it's like when mit uh, when uh, john mccain voted against repealing the affordable care act it there was this uh moment in this in the well of the senate where where a bunch of democrats wanted to uh to applaud or just take a victory lap or whatever before before it was all said and done and chuck schumer shushed them because right because you know I don't agree with every strategic decision Chuck Schumer's ever made, but I think he saw wisely then that if you gloat when the when the deciding vote hangs in the balance and and you know it's John McCain and what the fuck does he care? Like don't do that. Right. If, you know, in in certain in certain cases, um, uh, you know, a direct and aggressive attack is not necessarily always best. But I'm I'm thinking less about how you micro target each individual senator and more how you tell America that a vote to acquit without any witnesses equals cover up. And I, I can see the ways that I I listed, but if if there are any other if there are any other ideas I want the people listening uh, to hear them. I frankly is yours. feel
1: I frankly feel a little bit uh a little bit hopeless about this aspect of it. I think that there's not any kind of meaningful way of pressuring the Senate. Um, at this point, maybe maybe just making those marginals a little uncomfortable. But uh, to me, like I just just I hate to return to this, but I think the big picture is what happens after this process. I mean, I know that's not exactly satisfying, but look, here's the bottom line, right? We've always known that this is going to come down to an election, right? Mm-hmm. It just is, and right and. What's going to matter is whether progressives and Democrats mobilize properly. Now, one really interesting thing, I was talking to the Democratic chair in Wisconsin, and, and they are hyper-focused right now on knocking on doors in Milwaukee, right? To them, that's the ball game: Knocking on doors in Milwaukee and making connections in rural Wisconsin to keep the margins down for Trump. And right now, that's all they're really thinking about. And so, you know, I, I don't know, I hate to say this, but all we can do is just make our case. I mean, this a lot of this goes back to the problem you raised a little earlier, which is that our gatekeepers are, are, are screwed up, right? Mm-hmm. The media gatekeepers are the ones, it's not, as when Chuck Schumer shushes, it, shushes down the partisans on his side in order to create space for the McCains of the world to do the right thing, Right. The things that actually gets them to do the right thing are the gatekeepers and if again, then this of course goes back to your original challenge, how do you get the gatekeepers to right yeah it's it's a bit of a mess of situation I I, I I by the way, there's one thing we haven't talked about which I think is really important it's all these spin off investigations that are going on right now in the southern district and so forth
0: yeah i I think that that's part of it too is, is like you you. Ideally, you leave the impeachment inquiry open. You promise to keep it aggressive. You do advertising. You micro-target the individual senators, but you create a climate of fear um, uh, among uh, among vulnerable Senate Republicans that they don't know what they're voting to cover up. And um, and
1: yeah, I think that's a big part of it. Yeah,
0: I, uh, that's sort of like what I would like to see the broader. Uh, Democratic Party, Democratic-affiliated brain trust thinking about uh, because otherwise you have this situation where um, you know the process draws to a close and then maybe there's a cacophony of developments down the line and it's not all part of one story where Republicans covered up Trump's crimes only to have the cover-up collapse on them and now, now their votes to acquit him are uh, Are exposed as a cover up of these things that we've learned in the months since. And
1: the thing about that is that that is actually a message that individual members and senators can carry very effectively. It's not something that maybe you would use in paid ads, Mm because it's not quite clear how you would say, you know, Susan Collins had better watch out about what's going to emerge later, right? But that is really a point that I think. Senators and House members can make very forcefully in interviews, and that's something they should say as often as possible, right? Yeah,
0: I mean, to, to, to draw the Affordable Care Act back into the discussion, briefly, I remember when, in the, in the last days, when they were about to take the final vote on it, Mitch McConnell, who was minority leader at the time, was, like gave a, a press conference where he, he made sure to strike a very ominous tone. It was like, Democrats think that they can put this behind them with, by taking this final vote. And I just want to be very clear that this is all in front of them. They're going to take this vote, right. and every every Republican running in the United States is going to remind voters what happened uh, when Democrats passed this bill. And, yes. and 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 a similar sort of f- like forward looking messaging. It didn't stop the Affordable Care Act from from passing, right? And and it might not stop. Trump from being removed from office, it almost certainly won't. But it, but it would, sort of channel the way the news media and voters who are very engaged think about everything that happens subsequently.
1: Right, and th- that actually there's a way to do that that I think supports your earlier point about keeping Democrats on a much more institu uh, on a much more of an institutional war footing in the House. Right, um, what they should be saying to put those two things together is, you may vote, you may run a sham trial now at which you hear from no witnesses, but let me be clear, we are going to get those witnesses. We're gonna hear from those witnesses. We're gonna fight in court until we hear from them. We're gonna fight in court until we get his tax returns and and, and his finances. And then what we're gonna say is, here's what you covered up, right? So I think the aggressive institutional war footing it forms the underpinning of that kind of message.
0: That is the hopeful note that I think we should end on. And I hope that uh, influential people in the Democratic Party are listening and they follow, uh, they uh, um, do as Greg just said. Uh, Greg Sargent, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Brian. That's it for this week. I won't be back until the new year. But in the meantime, I'd encourage everyone listening to keep in mind how straightforward things look when you peel away all the layers of obfuscation. Trump has been impeached for extorting a vulnerable foreign government to interfere in the 2020 election on his behalf. The evidence that he is guilty is overwhelming. And until he became president, nobody would have disputed that what he did is an impeachable offense. There are people out there closer to the president who have even more evidence, but Trump has ordered them not to testify, and they have complied with his order. If their testimony were exculpatory, Republicans would be desperate to put them on the witness stand. Instead, they're desperate to keep that information from ever coming to light. That makes them accomplices. That's it. That's the story. Tell your friends, tell your family, and if your representatives or news sources tell you otherwise, tell them they're using their power to spread lies and that you won't forget. This show is produced by Crooked Media. It's written and hosted by me, Brian Boitler. Stephen Hoffman is our producer and editor. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you get your podcasts.